Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome along to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Connor Clancy. As you might have seen on Twitter, in the description down below on YouTube, it's a two-man show this week, and the ever-reliable Vito Doria is joining me. Vito, welcome along. It's good to have you with me. Yeah, thanks, Connor. Be a very interesting format for this podcast this time. So, yeah, let's see how this goes. I'm sure it would still be amusing nonetheless. Let's hope so. We've got some Genoa content anyway, so that's guaranteed rant from you. Um, but yeah, this is the first time I've done the one-on-one with you. I've done it with Nick and Luca before, but let's hope you can rise to the pressure and deliver your best performance yet, Vito. Yeah, let's hope so. Should All right, so I guess the obvious place to start then is with Milan nil Juventus 2. Um, personally, I only saw bits of this game here and there. But Gonzalo Higuain, Vito, the man is back, isn't he? On the basis of uh, what we saw on Saturday, you would suggest that uh, he's back in form. The finishes were classic Higuain finishes, and he showed why Juventus paid all that money for him. And one of the great things about Higuain throughout his career is that he's a prolific scorer and he has that great goal sense. Although at Juventus, I think he's had a rough time of it, especially in the last few months. Uh, the game on the weekend was one of those games in which we saw a different Higuain. And even last week, there were some different attributes to his game. Uh, what I really liked about this game, aside from his scoring, of course, is that he was able to link up with his teammates a bit more and drop back. So the way he played the game, he wasn't just settled in the penalty box. He was covering a lot of ground and, you know, he was providing a, you know, a passing option for his teammates as well, which is great to see. And I think it might be a sign that that he's not just a centre forward, he's also got to be a man who can contribute to the overall build-up of the team's play and be involved in how the team constructs their attacks. Yeah, well, that's something we touched on. I can't remember now. Was it after the Udinese game? I'm getting a bit caught up with myself now that there were so many games in the last week. But Higuain didn't score, but he was probably in the top three performers on the day. And the way he sacrificed himself was so evident. It was so impressive, especially for someone who was known as kind of just being a goal scorer and not really doing much else. But he was happy to sacrifice himself in the way that we've seen Mario Mandzukic sacrifice himself for events in the past. But yeah, on, on Saturday evening, he really stepped up and that second goal in particular was just outstanding. I remember myself, Nick and Dov were at a game last season where it was at the San Paolo actually and Iguain returned. 
and he just scored this goal from 20 yards when the shot didn't even really look on but he just smashed it into the bottom corner and when he is at his best that is what he's capable of doing and he he did it again on Saturday obviously but one thing with Higuain that I always find quite strange is he has a reputation as being a bit of a final bottler and someone who doesn't do it but in other big games he always does so for Juventus he's stepped up against Napoli several times already he's done it against Milan but he did it against Monaco in a tricky game in the Champions League last season but it just seems to be when he's actually on that showpiece event of a final it gets to him Tavito what is it what's going on in Higuain's head that he is a big game player unless there is a trophy on offer at the end of the game I find it really bizarre and strange, to be honest. And that was why when we did the end of the season podcast uh, around June this year that I was criticising Giuseppe Marotta for even buying him in the first place. Uh, In these big games, or the finals more specifically, this is where Higuain has unfortunately struggled. And for a club that's searching for its third European Cup title, Champions League, I just thought it was very strange that they would purchase him in the first place I'm obviously no psychologist but and you know I don't know what Higuain's thinking in his mind but I'm sure perhaps the greater pressure the expectations or the crowd atmosphere might somehow get to him or maybe previous experiences they race through his head and he's like oh no oh what happens if I make a mistake here so Perhaps after all these experiences, just these negative thoughts build up in his mind. So, yeah, it might be just a nerve thing. Yeah, it almost, he needs like, to. it almost seems like every time he plays badly in a final, he's more likely to play badly in the next final because the pressure just gets to him. We have a few questions coming in already, which are kind of related to things we will touch on later. So thanks for those guys. Keep them coming. We will get to them. We're going to go through a fair few listener questions today, actually because it is just the two of us. So we're going to take advantage of that. Vito, another question just on this game. Milan lost, but they didn't actually play too badly, did they? Because possession, I think they dominated. They had more shots than Juventus, and it was just two kind of moments of magic, really, from Higuain that won it for Juve. Vincenzo Montella's job, is he under more pressure now after losing this, or is it just... It's, it's not anymore, his job isn't any more at risk than it was this time last week. Mm. At the moment, I reckon it's hard to really decide. I still think the pressure is on and for sure that at any moment, he might get the flick, unfortunately. It's one thing to give coaches patience as well as time to develop a team and especially if you have a certain style of play, that won't click instantly. So Montel is going to have a very tough time as it is. At the moment, though, I don't really see any clear signs of progression on the Montella, and that's probably the negative aspect of it. If Milan were getting results or at least showing they were putting in good performances, then I would say that he'd be more safe. But I think... Although there was improvement on the weekend, there's still some flaws in Milan's game and possibly I think it might be a formation issue too. Montella needs to have players in the right positions and play in roles that really suit the characteristics. So I think what Montella might need to do next week is go through another formation change, although he's gone through an abundance of them already. Yeah, there is that, isn't there? And the the players more than them not being used to the formations they're playing in. If you're changing system and formation every other week, you're going to get a bit pissed off. And if Montella comes in and then says, all right, guys, we're going to change it up again this week, it's only a matter of time before the players just just tell them that we're sick of this changing. And I don't know. It's, it does seem like he's living a borrowed time at the moment. Um, about a month ago, I was all for giving him time. But as you say, there doesn't seem to be too much going on that would suggest he's capable of turning it around at the moment. And, but one thing I saw was apparently Paolo Sosa is one of the favourites to take over. That's a sidewards, if not backwards, step from Milan, though, right? If they bring in Sosa, who 
didn't really do that well at Fiorentina. Uh, he did okay, I suppose, but nothing spectacular. That's not really progress. Yeah, I'm a bit uncertain about the choice of Paulo Souza as coach. I do think he might be a bit more structured than Montella or he wouldn't be as uh, gung-ho as Montella is. I think Montella is a very attack-minded coach and Souza is attack-minded, but from what I saw in the first season of Souza Fiorentina, there was a lot more structure, there was more organisation and they were leading the Scudetto charge in the first few months he was there. It's just that the Della Valle family at Fiorentina came to add to that squad like Souza had requested. The way things are going now, I would probably prefer someone like Souza as opposed to, for instance, Walter Mazzari. I think he would really be the opposite of Montella. He would have a structure and he would stick a lot with the back three or variants of it, but I think he would be a lot more cautious than Montella and maybe results-wise that might be okay, but I think if you're trying to get fans through the gates and you want to get TV ratings up, uh, Mazzari's not a coach that's going to provide entertaining football. And another thing too is Mazzari is also a coach that doesn't give kids many chances. So if the likes of Manuel Locatelli and Patrick Cutrone aren't getting enough time now, uh, they're not going to be playing a lot if Mazzari is the guy that replaces Montella. So if Montella gets the sack, the Milan hierarchy needs to make a good choice on the replacement and if he can adapt to the current squad a lot better. Yeah, I would agree with that on Mazzari because if, if Sousa is a sideways step, Mazzari is probably about two steps backwards. But it just kind of makes them go back to square one and then... Well, you would assume they would bring in someone else again in the summer, which means back to square one again. And given all the uh, the uncertainties, I guess, with their financial backing at the moment, um, going back to square one too many times isn't really an option for them because who knows if the money's even going to be there for that much longer. But if we're going to move up the table, then we'll move up to the very top where Napoli are still sitting there on 31 points from 11 games. And... They are shortly followed behind, two points behind them are Inter, who won this evening, Monday night, they ground out a win against Verona. Um, Not really too much to say about either side's specific games, but one of the questions that has come in here on the YouTube comments is from Chris Morley, who says, is this the season where we start to see competition for the top four to six places? And is our Inter more likely than Napoli to topple Juve? I'll take this first before I throw it over to you. I know... Chris, if you've been listening for a couple of weeks, you might have heard us say that. Personally, I think this is the year that Napoli went to Scudetto. So I'm not sure if they're more likely to topple Juve than Napoli are, but I think they're not far behind Napoli, definitely. And to be honest, the way it is now with Napoli first, Inter second, and Juventus third, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the if they were the standings at the end of the season because Inter do look strong. And they've shown that in the big games they played against both Milan, I know Milan are a bit of a mess, and against Napoli when they just completely shut them down. So, personally, Napoli are a bit hard to resist for me. I've, I've kind of just fallen in love with them under Sarri in the last year. Vito, I don't know what you think. Do you think that Inter have a better chance at winning the Scudetto than, than Napoli do? I still think Napoli will win the title, and I think that that this is their year because they're much more familiar with one another and they're really understanding Maurizio Sarri's philosophy. So I think that's what will put them ahead of Inter. Where Inter can possibly benefit is if Napoli lose a few players to some serious injuries. And also another thing too is that it also depends on how seriously Napoli take the Champions League. So even if they don't qualify through the Champions League group and they drop into the Europa League, uh, the run in Europe might um, dictate how far they can push for the title Napoli. And if there are any slip-ups by Napoli, at least Inter haven't got that European competition to worry about. So they're more rested and 
they can dedicate more time to preparing for the CDR games. So I think from that aspect, that's where Inter could possibly benefit. Do you know, I hadn't actually thought about that. And you do see that a lot in the Premier League, even in the last couple of seasons. Whatever team hasn't been playing in Europe. The last two seasons, Leicester won the league. They weren't playing in Europe. Chelsea won the league. They weren't playing in Europe. So it does seem like just having the whole week to concentrate on that one game is obviously beneficial. But I agree with what you said about Napoli just knowing each other a little bit better. In the same way that, again, the Premier League, Manchester City are just, they have taken on Guardiola's ideas. Napoli are very much like that with Sarri. They know exactly what they're doing. You could probably blindfold some of them and they'd still be able to make passes and be in the right place. They just know exactly where they're going. Whereas Inter, as impressive as Lujamas Paletti is and as good a job as I think he will do there given time, I think a Scudetto push, it's definitely possible, but I don't think they can win Serie A this year. I do think that Napoli are that step ahead of them. And even for familiar for familiarity, uh, Juventus are a step ahead as well. But Inter should comfortably finish top four and they'll be back in the Champions League next year. And then who knows, they might get some more investment over the summer. Um, I guess another team then, if we want to discuss, are Roma, who are a bit of a funny case because they're doing quietly very well. They're fifth place at the moment, 24 points. Obviously, they've played one game fewer than everyone else above them because their game against Sampdoria was called off due to weather a month or two ago now. Um, they played a game that a lot of people around Europe would have seen in the Champions League, and they drew 3-3 with Chelsea. Since then, it looks like they've just... Di Francesco has had a word with the defence because their last three games were 1-0, 1-0, and 1-0. So it's nine points, three goals, none conceded. And lovely, really. They're, they're doing very well. Vito, do you think that the kind of the chaos at Stamford Bridge was an incentive that Di Francesco has used to kind of beat his defenders with and kind of knock them into place? Well, I suppose so, because they are not conceding what they did against Chelsea, so at least structurally they've improved. And it looks like that they're not uh, all that content with scoring too many goals. It's about the results, and I think the way Serie A has been so far this season, it's important to pick up the points first and then worry about the general performances and the style of play. So I reckon it's good coaching by Di Francesco. I also reckon that maybe maybe the focus could be on being a lot more competitive in the Champions League than in previous years. So instead of going for all-out attack in Serie A or trying to score as many goals as possible, perhaps... Di Francesco is starting to find that balance between Serie A action and Europe than what his predecessors have done. I guess that kind of links into the the second half of the question we got, which is, is there more competition for those top four places? There definitely is. We've got Napoli into Juve, one, two, and three, as things stand, and then Lazio and Roma. And you would expect... I know it might sound silly given their form, but you expect Milan to kind of find their feet at some point this season and begin to climb up into the top six. And given what we saw with Atalanta last season, you can't really write off what Sampdoria are doing because they've been brilliant. We will get to them again in a bit, Vito, if you can just sit tight on that before we do. But what do you think? The top four, It's it could go to four of seven or eight teams really this year, couldn't it? It sure can. It's looking very competitive. And that's what I like about Serie A this season. In previous years, you could tell that Juventus were going to be on top and there would be one or two outsiders to really challenge them. But you could tell that Juve were always going to you know, break away from the rest of the pack. This season, although Napoli's leading the title chase, a lot of the other teams, they look hungry for the... European spots, they're more organised, more competitive. And also there are certain teams that are probably more willing to express themselves instead of being too conservative. So that's excellent to see. And also once every few years, or actually every season, there will always be that one or two teams that will spring a surprise. So 
some are doing it so far this season, but there might be other teams that will pop up in the top 10 or even come close to those European spots and provide a surprise in Serie A. So it's great to see that there aren't just teams below the top three or those positions that are just making up the numbers. They're putting up a good fight. They're playing good football and they're having that right balance of good technique and as well as know good tactical awareness so I think that makes it makes the league better in general just before we move on from Roma their goal at the weekend was pretty pretty special wasn't it Stefano Sharawi scored a volley from I think it was a corner that came across wasn't it and he just volleyed it and it was really really worth looking up because it was a it was a special strike but Vito you wrote about him towards the back end of last season if I'm remembering correctly uh, I'm of the opinion that if he doesn't deliver whenever he gets the chance this season at Roma, well, then that's that's probably his last chance at a, one of the bigger clubs. Would you agree or do you think I'm being a bit harsh? I think it's an accurate assessment, Connor. The reason I say that is because he's 25 years old now and for a few years he's been touted as a player with great potential and another one of those players that could uh, provide the Italian national team with a great future, but he hasn't really progressed as much. So after leaving AC Milan, going to Monaco, then moving to Roma, for a while he was starting, sort of losing his way, but he's getting more chances under Di Francesco. And to score a beautiful volley like he did on the weekend, I think it goes to show that he does have the talent and if he can produce that on a more regular basis we might be able to see his potential finally come through and that he's going to turn out to be this uh, top player that a lot of people would have been expecting him to be about three or four years ago. Do you think there's a case... I remember in his second season at Milan, I think it was, and then when he came back with Roma that I thought it looked like he was a bit of a one-trick pony. He always used to get on the left and try and get towards the box and then cut in on his right every single time. But he seems to have added a little bit more to his game now. Technically, he seems a better player. He seems a bit more intelligent. He's not trying to do everything himself anymore to the same extent. But there's a risk that he turns out like Juan Iturbe, isn't there? And he, Where is he now? He's playing in Mexico somewhere, I think. Iturbe mm. has really taken a big nose dive. I remember Verona, he was sensational. And once he made that big transfer to Roma, he's really done nothing since, unfortunately. Gone to Bournemouth, now in Mexico. And he even had some time in Torino. So it's a bit of a shame that he went down that way. El Shirari, though, um, like you said, he did look like a one-trick pony. And I don't think Max Allegri was the type of coach to change that while he was at AC Milan. But when he arrived at Roma... El Shirari was being used sometimes as a left wing back by Luciano Spalletti. So I think that helped him develop his game tactically and also added some additional characteristics to his additional game. So I think now under Di Francesco, he's really benefiting from those, you know, those experiences where he's had to play out of position. So hopefully this will continue and that he can balance sort of you know, that defensive aspect of the game and, of course, make his contributions offensively because uh, that volley on the weekend was an example of what magic he can provide. And it'd be a shame if he was just one of those guys that plays well on his day as opposed to a guy who's consistent throughout. We've been talking a bit about players and coaches that are under a lot of pressure. Someone who I think should be under more pressure is Sinisa Mihailovic at Torino because... When they went 1-0 down to Cagliari this weekend, I thought this could be the end of him there because it, it hadn't quite worked out. Last season, there were a lot of expectations. The defence was a bit of a shambles. I know Joe Hart didn't really help things behind the defence. But this season, not that much has improved. And if anything, they just look too reliant on Andrea Bellotti. He came back from injury at the weekend, didn't score. They won just... Uh, Balotti himself actually missed a handful of chances that he should have done better with. But I guess that's probably just match fitness, really. Mihailovic, then, do you think that he could be 
kind of looking over his shoulder and maybe worrying for his job. Do you think he'll still be there at Christmas? This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I don't think you'll be under much pressure. I think the Torino president, Urbano Cairo, is the type of guy that seems to be very content with... uh, um, to put it bluntly, mediocrity or, you know, um, he's just happy that Torino are in Serie A and that's really about it. I don't think he's really the president that's going to say, you've got to get into the Europa League, you've got to get into the Champions League. And I think from that aspect, Mahalovic will be safe. And I do think it's a bit of a shame, to be honest. The reason I say that is that Torino's got a good squad in my view and I really believe Torino's got the squad to play Europa League football. But Mahalovic, as I would have said on this podcast in the past, and I've certainly said it recently on social media with other people I speak to online, is that Mahalovic is just a motivator. So tactically, he's nowhere as flexible as most of his other Serie A counterparts. And I think in the long term, that's really going to hurt the Granata because... Uh, maybe Cairo would be happy with the way things are progressing, but I'm sure that the Torino supporters and maybe even a few neutrals might think this Torino side deserves better. I would also like to point out in a general sense that Torino, they've done well to sort of come back up from Serie A twice in the last decade or so, but they're always going to be in the shadow of Juventus and it's a historical thing too. You know, ever since, you know, I'm going back to the 1940s when they had the Grande Grande Torino side. After the Superga disaster, this is just my view as an outsider looking in and a non-Torino supporter. It's just, it seems that they feel like they're under pressure to emulate that side or they feel like they can't do better than what they did all those years ago. So it seems that they'll just be content with survival finishing mid-table and there's that lack of belief that the club can compete for trophies or can aim for ambitious goals. And I think it's a bit disappointing because I'm sure a lot of people would be disappointed with the Juventus domination in Italy and even in Turin alone. So it'd be good if Torino one day could be a more competitive side and be a, a competitor for trophies. But with a coach like Mahalovic, there's no hope in the world that's happening. Yeah, I, I do agree with that because if you go back to this time last year and you were to compare the Atalanta squad and the Torino squad, there's not too much difference there. And I reckon if, if Jean-Pierre Gasparini, for example, was in charge of Torino, he'd probably have them challenging for the Champions League places because 
He'd organize them tactically and he would get the best out of those players. They've got Andrea Bellotti alone is good enough to fire them into the Europa League if he gets the right service. And I just think you're right that they do kind of seem to accept mediocrity might be a strong word, but it, it kind of is that, isn't it? Um, but yeah, Torino should absolutely be aiming higher. They've got the ability. And that's another thing. If they aren't aiming to play in Europe, but they, they can't really keep hold of these players, you know, someone will come in and pay Belotti's release clause. Um, Falke, Baselli, all of those players will just move on and play European football elsewhere. Because we've seen that in the past. Like even at Atalanta, when they got the Europa League, it wasn't enough to keep some players, but it was enough to keep like Gomez and a couple of others. You know, so you do need to be competitive and actually aiming for things to keep all your best players, or else it's kind of a dangerous spiral. You can kind of end up like Palermo. Then you know, I know Zamperini has always been trigger happy and he's quick to pull and sack anyone, but which is kind of the opposite of Urbano Cairo, as he said. But I don't know. Um, we've got a comment on Andrea Bellotti. Imran Khan says he should go to AC Milan, but it's just going from one mediocre club to another if he does that. Um, sorry if you're a, a Milan fan, Imran, but no, he probably should go to someone like that in the next couple of years, to be honest. But for this season, at least, let him stay at Toro, play every week, and be ready for the World Cup if Italy get through the playoff. And I think, to be honest, from looking at each game in Serie A, that'll do. And we'll move on to kind of more general chat questions and just other points of interest because this kind of going back and forth between two people, it's a difficult thing to manage if you're just going through it game by game. But we'll kind of, we'll get your blood boiling now, Vito. Genoa were beaten 1-0 by Spal, which I'm sure you were happy about. And then and Sampdoria beat Kiego 4-1, which... Shouldn't be taken too lightly. That's a good result. Kiev aren't a bad side. Um, the second, what, 4-1 defeat in a week, but they're not that bad of a side. And the Derby della Lanterna is coming up next weekend. Surely Samp should be looking at a smashing here, shouldn't they? On paper, Sampdoria should win rather comfortably and possibly it could be another one for the history books too. I must admit, I'm not entirely certain what's the biggest margin Sampdoria has won a derby by, but if there was a chance to break the record, this is the time. And the latter, the Serie A table clearly reflects that, with Genoa being in the relegation zone and Sampdoria fighting for Europa League spot. This is a great opportunity for Samp to really humiliate Genoa. And really... Genoa really look like a team in crisis, especially with all this speculation of Preziosi possibly selling the club and then you hear stories that he might not sell after all. So it's a very inconvenient position for Genoa at the moment. From a stump perspective, we lost to Inter midweek, but we've got three wins in four games and the win against Kievo was really impressive too because... Kievo actually played pretty well, like you mentioned just before. I thought Kievo could have been maybe 3-0 up with the chances they had. Kievo actually looked like they had some great attacking intent. They counter-attacked very quickly, but I think they were just missing that finishing quality. And also Emiliano Viviano returned in goal for Sampdoria, so that was a big plus for Samp. So I was happy that... Some actually took their chances and Lucas Torreira, the promising young Uruguayan defensive midfielder, scored two great goals, especially with the free kick in the first half. So that was sensational to see. And, you know, uh, obviously I prefer a lot more of that because from a sub perspective, it's a great to watch. But, you know, hopefully we can get more neutrals on board. Definitely. Um, you piqued my interest there. The biggest winning margin Sampdoria have had is only four goals and that was in 1948 when they beat Genoa 5-1 so I think that's doable isn't it you could you could put five past them this weekend if if everyone's on song but we will get to Lucas Torreira in a minute after the Inter game you wrote a piece for ForzaItalianFootball.com everyone head over and read it saying that Carol Anetti and Gianluca Caprari should start for Sampdoria 
they started on Samp 141. Is that a coincidence or is that their best 11 with those two in the team? That's the best 11 with those two in the team. Um, Linetti is so energetic. He's a smart player and he's only 22 years old, but uh, you can see why he's already a player in the Polish national team. So uh, to see him score, it was his third goal in fourth games and we're talking about a central midfielder, not a striker or, or an attacking midfielder. So that was very impressive to see. And uh, Caprari coming, well, starting the game, um, he wasn't at his very best, but he was involved in the golf was apart. And I thought he was still linking up pretty well. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, those two, even if they are not the best two players in the Sampdoria squad, they're still vital players nonetheless. And Giampaolo definitely needs to have them in the field because of the versatility, uh, the tactical flexibility, and even just the overall skill. Uh, they're just an important... They're important pieces of the puzzle, so um, it's better to have them there than to just have them on the bench and then try and turn the game around because then sometimes when you have that super sub thing, I don't think it's always beneficial and it also depends on the players that you have at your disposal and those particular two, I think they've got to be there from the first whistle so they can make an impact right away. Yeah, I've seen Sampdoria play. I've watched them a couple of times this season and... I've been impressed with both Lanetti and Caprari against Atalanta. I think they were dominating it. And then I don't know if Caprari came on or if he was already on, but once Sam grew into the game, he was giving the Atalanta defence a nightmare. And then Carol Lanetti came on and he completely changed the game and scored in the end. So did Caprari. But yeah, they're both very impressive players. And I'm, one thing that impressed me about Caprari is he's, he's an attacking player, but he offers so much more than just goals. He, moves defenders all over the place you kind of you can't take your eye off him for a second if you do he'll be on the other side of the pitch you know so he really does occupy the defenders mentally and physically and as you said Lanetti I couldn't believe when he was 22 he is he's built like he's in his late 20s early 30s he's, he's a bit of a machine um but if we are going to talk about impressive Samp midfielders we can't not talk about Lucas Torreira. And one of the questions that came in, well, not really a question, but was a, it was from Scott Monroe, who was very much a friend of FIF. And he just said, Lucas Torreira, discuss. And I tipped him before the season. I did a piece, the five youngsters to look out for, basically. He was the number one because he is going to be a big star. And I, I didn't know he had that in his locker. That free kick that he scored was unbelievable. He must have been about 70 yards out. Vito, you obviously watch Sampdoria more than most people. Did you see this side of him coming? I didn't even expect it myself, to be honest. Um, we don't really have any designated free kick takers at the moment. So that's why I was a little bit surprised that I saw Torreira take that kick. But uh, to hit it like he did, I was extremely impressed. That's probably as good as any free kick you'll see in Serie A this season. And we've seen a few, such as Pjanic and Dybala at Juve, Mertens at Napoli. So there are a few good free kick takers around. And although Chalkanoglu hasn't scored one yet for Milan, or not from the top of my head anyway, um, he's capable of taking sensational free kicks too. So for Torreira to produce one like that, uh, it was a pleasant surprise and... Perhaps uh, we found another free kick specialist as opposed to a guy who's just a, a ball winner in midfield. It's great to see players who do have those specialised roles, but when they add extra attributes to the game, it just makes things better for a coach. That's better that they can take on these extra tasks. And, of course, as a, as a supporter watching the team to see one of your players produce moments like that, I think it just makes the game even more delightful to watch. Definitely. The thing about Terrell, if there's anyone who hasn't watched Sam, definitely do, especially now while they're playing so well. But keep an eye on Terrell because he is he's a strange combination of being an absolute terrier in midfield. If you have the ball, the last player... The last midfielder you want to see running towards you is Lucas Torreira. He's kind of like Rajan Angelon in that he's 
he's hard, he's gritty, he'll kick you, he'll pull your shirt, he'll he'll get in your face and make things really difficult for you. But then when he gets the ball, he's so intelligent. He makes the right decisions. He plays simple passes. He's capable of playing passes over the top to Qualiarella or whoever's making a run down the wing. Um, if someone else steps out of position, he's more than happy and capable to drop in, spot that there's someone missing and he'll drop in and replace him. But yeah, Lucas Torreira is definitely one worth watching. Um, I retweeted a video of that goal. Go look at it because it's so far out. There's not even a proper wall. The, the goalkeeper has one person standing there so he can see it come the whole way and he doesn't get close to it. It's unbelievable. It, it, it's like something Cristiano Ronaldo would do when he was good at taking free kicks, I think. On the other side of this derby this weekend then is Genoa. They lost to Spal, which is which is a real warning, you know. Do you think they could get relegated this year, Vito? We spoke about them a bit last year. At the moment, they're 18th and two points from safety, so it's not that big a gap. But I predicted them for relegation before the season started. Luca Gumby of this parish ridiculed me. But they could seriously go down, couldn't they? I honestly think they do, and it's not just my bias showing. I really think that the way General's been playing this season, they really do look like they're in a crisis. And as I mentioned earlier, I think the, the stabil- instability off the field is really affecting them too. What we are seeing on the field, though, is just... I think it's the constant nature of Genoa in the same sense Palermo used to be like that. There was just too much chopping and changing with players and coaches and it creates too much instability and eventually it's going to be costly in the long run. Losing to Spal, who have just been promoted too, uh, does not help the situation at all. So uh, they're coming into the derby in probably uh, the worst form that they can possibly imagine and this is probably one time uh, where they don't want to be going into a dub in such bad form because they're battling relegation and some's fighting for Europe. So with those two circumstances to consider, um, you'd think on the red and blue half of Genoa, uh, things are looking very glum and very dim. Another thing I'll mention too is if they do get relegated, I think it's time that Mattia Perin seriously considers leaving Genoa because... Um, he's one player from Genoa that, you know, that I think a lot of people would rate. Even uh, if you go for some, if if you can see his quality, the guy is too good for Genoa and deserves a bigger club than them. So it would be a great chance to cash in, him, cash in on him as soon as possible and also a chance for him to play somewhere where he's going to get more attention and more recognition. Yeah, you get the impression that if he hasn't, if he hadn't suffered so many injuries, he'd have left there by now. Because when he's fit and important, he's a brilliant goalkeeper. He is too good for Genoa. Genoa fans, I'm sorry, but he is. And like I say, if they go down, he has to just leave because he has been more than committed to them to stay there until now. But um, I was going to say moving on from Sam, but just before we do, there was an article that went up on Bleacher Report recently this week I think about Fabio Quagliarella and his whole stalker situation we discussed that back when the news broke in I think it was February of this year when he kind of made public the problems that he suffered while he was at Napoli and go search that article because it is a fantastic read make yourself a cup of coffee or something beforehand because it's a long one but sit down and read that because it's well worth it Um, and then we're going to go on to our listener questions then and I was going to say moving on from Sam, but my answer to one of them is straight back to Sam. And it came from Chris Martin, who tweeted us in saying, which summer signing is the least missed by their former club? For example, do Lazio miss Biblia or the most missed? And he offered the example of Simeone from Genoa. Well, Simeone from Genoa is probably a good shout. I think my answer would be the least missed would be anyone that Sampdoria sold this summer because they lost uh, Luis Muriel, Uh, Patrick Schick there was probably a few more as well that don't spring to mind immediately but Milan Skriniar you know but they just haven't missed them because Giampaolo has done a great job there 
They've identified good young talent, brought them in, and they've slotted in seamlessly. And I know you think Caprari and Lanetti should be starting all the time, which I agree with, but Giampello is probably using his squad very well. He's not overexposing these young players just yet, kind of easing them into Serie A, and he is doing a really good job. Um, so, yeah, anyone that's left, Sam hasn't really been missed. And for the most missed, I'm going to let my bias show here and say Andrea Conti who is kind of being missed not only by Atalanta, but also by Milan, because both desperately need uh, an attacking and defensively brilliant right wing back, which he is. And I seriously hope he comes back from his injury as good as he was before he got the knock. Vito, throw it over to you. What were your answers for this one? Mm. Ooh. Yeah, that might take a bit of thinking, to be honest. Uh, I think the least missed... I would say Bonucci on the basis because he is doing so miserably at Inter. I mean, AC Milan, sorry. But also, Juve, they're not doing as bad without him. And I'm glad that Daniele Rugani is getting more playing time at Juventus. So I think from that aspect, uh, Bonucci wouldn't be missed as much. And next year, they're going to get Mattia Caldara from Atalanta. So... It looks like you're building for the future, so Bonucci might not be that much of a loss. As for the biggest loss, uh, Simeone from Genoa to Fiorentina, I think, is definitely a good shout. I definitely agree with Chris on that one because although he hasn't been overly prolific for Fiorentina, uh, it would still be ideal for Genoa if they still had him in the squad because he was scoring pretty well for them. And and I must actually agree with you on Andrea Conti. And it's not just Atalanta and Milan. I think the Azzurri could do with someone like him as well in the national team because Matteo Darmian doesn't start a lot for Manchester United or he barely plays, must admit. Um and also with Andrea Conti, he's not just a defensive player and he's not just a player that provides goals too. He actually can score goals from his position and that's not a really common thing for someone in his role. So, um, yeah, it's a bit unfortunate too because he would add extra pace to this current Milan side and the type of player he is, you know, be good if, you know, just as neutral observers or supporters of the respective teams, he's just a player worth watching. So hopefully when he does come back from injury you know, sometime next year, that his recovery is excellent and when he steps onto the field, he can gradually influence games. Yeah, I think if we're going to stick with Conti for a second, which I would like to, he is he's so underrated. I think he was the highest scoring defender in Serie A last year. He got close to double figures. If he didn't get 10, he got 8 or 9. And then the other one was obviously Caldara as well, who got seven or eight. Um, but yeah, Conti is huge. And if Italy gets to the World Cup next year, I think he could really not only announce himself as an it- Italian player, but announce himself to everyone around Europe. Because he, that's one thing that you don't really get in the World Cup anymore in international tournaments is players that you haven't really heard of making a real name for themselves. But outside of Italy... Very few people actually know who Andrea Conti is because he was at Atalanta last season. And he has got the ability to be a seriously good right back. And as you say, he can score goals, he can defend brilliantly. And yeah, fingers crossed that he comes back from injury the same player as he was. But Vito, we've done it. We've made it to the end. I'm very proud of us. You've done very well. And you lived up to the pressure that I put on you beforehand. So, So well done. Thanks for joining me. Nice. Thank you. Um, yeah, so guys, you can follow Vito on Twitter at Vito C. Doria. I'm at Con J. Clancy. You can follow us on Twitter at Serie FFC, Facebook and Instagram at Sports Italian Football. Yeah, we'll be, we record our podcast every Monday night, uh, half 11 Central European time, Monday nights, half 10 UK time. I think it's, what is it, half nine Melbourne time or something? Yeah, 9.30 Australian Daylight Savings Time. So, yeah, if you're in Oz and you're keen to watch, check me out. Check us out. Well, I think we actually do have a few listeners from down there, probably more than we do from the UK and Ireland. It's, it's a weird little demographic that we have listening to us. But, yeah, guys, thanks very much. Hopefully we'll see you again next week. Thanks for your comments and for listening. And 
yeah, that's all that I have to say until next time. So it's ciao for now. E la curva ovest ci ha compatta gode nelle varie pugni al sole. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 